Open your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. We're just two days away from Independence Day. And I'm certain that all across our nation, folks are thinking about that. Preachers are preaching about that. It's a subject of discussion by many folks. And normally, I would be doing the same, being the the time that we uh, recognize our independence. I'm not going to give you a lesson in American history. I'm not going to give you a list of all of the problems in American society. And I don't say that because Independence Day is unimportant. To the contrary, I think it's very important. I think it ought to be celebrated But there's something that is even more important. It's not in my job description nor within my ability to save America. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I would be willing, if need be, to take up arms and fight to the death to defend America to provide freedom for my children, my grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and generations to come. But I'm not willing to neglect the thing that America needs most. What we have to remember is that our nation is made up of individuals, and therefore America can be no better than Americans. Whatever we are as a people is going to be reflected uh, in a corporate sense by what we are as a nation. We talk about being in the land of the free, but the truth of the matter is most people are not truly free. You walk down the street, you stand in the mall or on any corner in America today, Watch thousands of people pass by, and I can assure you that most of those people are not truly free. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The only way to change America is to change Americans, and what we need is a recovery. Our nation's not what it used to be. It's not what it was when I was a boy. It, uh, it gets further and further away from God with every passing day. And we need a recovery. And I want to talk to you this morning about the road to recovery. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. We hear a lot about recovery, don't we? We think about those that are in recovery for drugs or for alcoholism or pornography or whatever it might be. Recovery is a a big thing in America today. 
But here we see a sort of recovery that is more important than any of those things that I've just mentioned, because until we experience this recovery, we are held in captivity. Uh, Unintentionally, throughout the, the course of my ministry, this is one of those verses that I quote most frequently, and it happens because it applies to a lot of different sermons. Anytime you're thinking about Satan, anytime you're thinking about sin, anytime you're thinking about redemption, what the Lord has done for you, some way or another, it all relates back to the condition that we were in as guilty sinners. And the context of this verse, verse number 26, gives us facts, instructions, and warnings. And I think the lesson is don't ever underestimate the devil's power. We go all the way back to Adam and Eve and we think about their situation and how that Satan was able to lure them away from their place of safety. Now think about that for a moment, that one forbidden tree. What was it about that one forbidden tree that made it more attractive than a thousand and one other trees of which they could freely eat. Think about that. God said you can freely eat of any of the other trees of the garden. Just leave that one alone. Don't bother that. And that's the one they went to. Why? They had never eaten from it before. They couldn't say, oh, we've already tried it. It's really good. It's nourishing. It's helpful or anything. No, it wasn't that. But there was something about that tree. And the only thing we can attribute to is the fact that Satan has a way of sweetening sin, making it appear sweet, making it appear as something that will be uh, uh, good for us, pleasant to us helpful in some way or whatever. But Satan knows how to appeal to us, and we need to remember that his temptations are traps, powerful traps from which we cannot break away. Isaiah said what starts out like a spider web ends up like a cart rope. And so rather than finding satisfaction, we are snared, or as Paul puts it here in our text, he says, taken captive by him at his will. What a sad thought that is. But that explains a lot of things. No doubt you've wondered, why do people do the things they do? I'm talking about things that defy reason. I'm talking about things that do great harm. Why in the world would Satan do that? Well, you could call it satanic seduction. In fact, I read one poll where 52%, now get this, 52% of professing Christians do not believe that Satan really exists. That is, that just blows my mind to think, you know, if it said 52% of Americans say that, I would thought, well, you know, that doesn't surprise me a bit. Or if it said 52% of the world population doesn't believe in a literal devil, that wouldn't surprise me. But we're talking about 52% of people that profess to be Christians and do not believe that Satan even exists. Well, it's no wonder that he has such an easy time in luring us to sin, in blinding us and binding us. I want you to notice over in James chapter number 1, because 
This explains how it happens. James 1, verse number 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. But when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, I want you to notice we're talking about how that Satan in some way was able to make that one tree attractive to Adam and Eve. And in the same way, he is able to entice us, that is to lure us to sin. And, and, and James is letting us know that when we're tempted, it's by our own lust. The point is that Satan does not have to use any external thing in order to lure us to sin. All he has to do is show us an opportunity. You, you see, the lust is already built in, and it's in every single person that's ever been born. We don't have to go out and search for something. I, I mean, it's right there. It's within us. And so whenever we are tempted to sin, it's Satan giving us that opportunity or making perhaps even more attractive the very desire that is already within us. And it's that search for satisfaction that lures us into dangerous territory. And its pull, by the way, is so very strong that it causes us to neglect instructions. I mean, you'd think that little kids, you know, that if they listen to anybody, they listen to mom and dad, right? I mean, after all, you know, they're born into this world totally dependent upon mom and dad. They take care of them. They provide everything they need. They protect them. They have their best interest at heart 24 hours a day. They're watching over them. You would think, you know, that if, if they listened to anybody, they'd listen to mom or dad. And what do they do? They do just the opposite. They neglect instruction that would be good for them. They ignore warnings. They do things contrary to reason. People do things that are harmful to others. They do things that grieve God. But they do things that pull a curse down upon their own head. Think about that. The attraction is from within. Flip Wilson said, the devil made me do it. And that was, you know, boy, he became famous being a comedian and uh, like that's supposed to be funny. But a lot of folks have the same philosophy, though the devil made me do it. Uh, they lay all of the blame on the devil's doorstep. It's his fault. Or maybe they blame someone else like Adam did whenever he said to God, he said, well, the woman you gave to me. In other words, you gave me this woman and she she's the one that enticed me to sin. We're always wanting to blame someone else. But the fact that God holds each one of us accountable tells us that we are responsible for our sin. You can't blame the devil. He can entice you. But understand the temptation comes from your own lust that is within. Now the difficult part in people being recovered and getting them out of captivity, the difficult part is helping them to realize they're in captivity because most people don't. If you walked up to somebody on the job site or somebody at school, someone that is not a professing Christian, someone that knows nothing about the Bible, and were you to tell them, look, you might not realize it, but you are in spiritual captivity 
to Satan. Some of them laugh at you. They would deny it. Somebody might even punch you in the nose. They don't see that. They don't understand that. And that's the really the first step in realizing that you're not the free person that you think you are. If you're unsaved, you are in captivity. I like what C.S. Lewis said. He says, no man knows how bad he is until he tries very hard to be good. Amen. Boy, all of a sudden you realize, I'm not as good as I thought I was. Every man is tempted when he's lured by his own lust. You see that seed of sin, that propensity to sin is already within us. That's what we mean when we talk about having a sinful nature. We don't have to teach little kids to, to do wrong. They'll, they're born into this world speaking lies, the Bible says. That comes natural for them. So consequently, that that desire that we have within us for satisfaction of some sort or another is the very thing that Satan plays on in order to entice us, to lure us away from the paths of righteousness, away from God, away from wise advice, and ultimately leads to our captivity. Notice he said, they are taken they're taken. They've been captured. They're taken. They're taken captive by him. That is by Satan at his will. You know, Solomon already proved to us the things that this world can't satisfy. I mean, he tried everything imaginable and he found no satisfaction. He says, all vanity. It's a soap bubble world. There's nothing here that satisfies and causes him to even say, I hated life. Now, I don't know whether you identify with that or not, but I do. I remember what it was like to be in captivity. I remember what it was like to know that I wasn't the kind of person I needed to be. I wasn't the kind of person I should be. I wasn't the husband I should have been. I wasn't the father I should have been. And I didn't want to be that way. I reached the point that I no longer wanted to be what I was and to do what I did. But but I, I, I couldn't break free. There wasn't any way out. I mean, I can remember, you know, with a hangover standing in front of a mirror and thinking to myself, there's got to be more to this life than this. There's got to be something more about, about me and my nature than this. Now, let me tell you, as one person said, he said, it's better to shun the evil than it is to struggle in the snare. And I want to tell you that that, that is true. It's true of every person that has ever become miserable in their sins to the point that they wanted a way out. They wanted to be free. Let me tell you, the only road that leads to redemption is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's all introduction, and I want you to notice now the message here. As Paul lays this out for Timothy, and he says again in verse number 25, and notice this key phrase, because this is the one that confuses so many people 
He says, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now, the Calvinists tell us that repentance is a gift from God, a, a gift that God grants to those of his own choosing and not to others. Now, I don't know if there's someone here that believes that or not, but if you do, you are, you're wrong. To have the idea that God is going to grant repentance to certain ones. Now, keep in mind, certain ones that He has chosen, and there are these others that He did not choose, and they're not granted repentance. So, that makes it all an act. Others... Others think of it and speak of it as the opportunity, that God would grant them the opportunity rather than the act. We could debate this hour after hour. This debate has been going on, if you can believe it, for centuries. Every time you get a gathering of preachers together, especially anymore, there will be some within the group that believes Exactly what I'm saying about the teachings of Calvin. And they say this is an act. God just arbitrarily or however God would do it chooses certain ones and does not choose the others. You debate that all you want, but here's the bottom line. And that is the fact that God holds you accountable for your sins and God calls you to repent of your sins, which is a change of mind resulting in a change of life. And God has called us all to repent. The only solution is for us to consider the context of this verse. Now notice, first of all, the problem. And there are three things mentioned in verse 25 and verse 26. Now there are a lot of problems discussed before and after. But there are three problems mentioned here in our text. First of all, verse 25, notice he says, they oppose themselves. That means they become their own worst enemy. It means they stand in their own way. Now, that's a terrible position to be in when you are your own worst enemy. Look, you're in captivity. You are your own worst enemy. You're standing in your way. And that's a description of those that he's talking about. It's a description of every unsaved person. They're standing in their own way. Don't blame the devil and don't blame God. Don't blame the preacher because the message wasn't up to par. The only person you can blame is yourself. And then notice, secondly, he says here that they need to come to the acknowledging of the truth. By implication, that means that they are ignorant and or stubborn or both. They need to know, they need to accept, they need to obey the truth. Why? Well, because the truth is what sets us free. Amen. Then thirdly, notice he says they're taken captive. They're taken captive. They themselves oppose themselves. They are ignorant and stubborn regarding the truth, and notice they're held in captivity by Satan. Now, that's the problem. And that is the exact same problem of every unsaved person you'll ever meet. 
Your next door neighbor might be the one of the nicest people you've ever met. It might be that when you don't feel good, they'll mold your lawn. It might be that when you're sick, they'll bake you a cherry pie. It might be that they are a good moral person so far as man's standards is concerned, but as far as their spiritual condition, this is it. They are in captivity. That's the problem. The problem with every unsaved person. But notice what the goal is in verse number 26, that they might recover themselves. Now, considering their condition that we've just described, obviously this has to do with unsaved people. That they might recover themselves. Over in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should what? Come to repentance. Now, if God is not willing that anyone should perish, but rather come to repentance, if that's God's desire for everyone, certainly God would not exclude someone, you know, somebody willing to repent. He's not willing that any should reject the message, that any should perish. Look in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy in verse number 4. And here again we see him speaking of this very subject. Chapter 2 and verse number 4 of 1 Timothy. He says to Timothy that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So God wants everyone to be saved. And in order to be saved, they have to come to a knowledge of the truth. So the goal is that they might recover themselves. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, what in the world does this have to do with Independence Day? What does it have to do with America? Because like I said, you cannot change America without changing Americans, and you can't change Americans without something happening within. It's not trying to get them to leave the Democratic Party and come over to the side of the Republicans. It's not getting the liberals to become conservatives and so forth. It's not gaining the political advantage over your adversaries. It's them experiencing a change within because they are held in captivity. They're in bondage. So if we're going to change America, it has to be what? One person at a time. And that's the goal here, that they might recover themselves. Well, how do you go about that? I mean, that's what we want to see happen, but how in the world do do we bring that to fruition? Notice verse number 24 and here, he, remember, he's speaking to Timothy, and Timothy happens to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and he's laying all of this out for him in regards to his manner of ministry. And he says in verse 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, must be apt to teach, must be patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. Notice as he goes through these things here, he's showing him things that are essential for effectively ministering the Word of God. In other words, this is the, the need is to deliver the message that will accomplish the goal, but the message in order to be effective has to be delivered in a 
particular manner. And he's telling him here exactly how that message is to be delivered. He's not to be contentious, always finding something to get in a debate about. He's not to be proud. He's to be gentle. He's not to, uh, you, you know, uh, to be unprepared, but rather apt to teach. Uh, and he's to be patient. He says, Timothy, if you're going, to, if you're going to be used of God to deliver these people from captivity, this is the way you have to go about it. Every teacher, every preacher, every Christian witness ought to think about those things that he's mentioned there because if you're going to witness to your neighbor or to your children or anyone else effectively, then your attitude means a lot. It's like that old saying, you know, people don't care how much you know, they know how much you care. And, and if there's no evidence that you care, I don't care what you say It'll never get through to them. They've got their guard up. They're suspicious of anything that you say. They're going to question anything you say as a result of the fact that they see those flaws in your character and they're not willing to listen. Now notice the hope. Verse 25, If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. To me, that is an expression of hope. That's not what the Calvinists say, but I, I think that's all it is. I don't think that's any difference than, you know, us saying that we hope someone will be saved this morning. Amen. That that's our desire. Yeah. And it ought to be. The goal is to bring them out of captivity, but notice they have a hope here. He's expressing the desire if God, peradventure, will give them repentance. Now, understand, repentance would be impossible without the Lord. You can't leave Him out of the picture. You're not going to lead people to repentance by your wise arguments and things of that nature. Rather, it takes a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to do that. You know, the Bible tells us repeatedly that we are to go to the sinner, that we are to go into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's our responsibility to go. And yet at the same time, the Bible says no man can come to him except the Holy Spirit draws him. There's that drawing power of the Holy Spirit. There is the enlightening factor of the Word of God that brings the truth to the heart of the sinner. And so, this look, this is something that we cannot do on our own. This is something that only God can do, but God does it with us as His instruments. And that's what He's getting across here to Timothy. And Timothy, don't be argumentative, don't be proud, don't be impatient that in trying to deliver these people from captivity, this is the attitude you need to entertain in order to get them to listen to the Word of God because the only thing that's going to change us is the truth. The Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And, and th this is what it's talking about, getting the truth to them. The, verse 25, notice the acknowledging of the truth. Sometimes, and I know or I hope you've experienced this, in witnessing to others, sometimes it just wears you out. 
trying in some way to get across to them that the Bible is true, that heaven is wonderful, that hell is real, that Jesus died for your sins, and you try every argument, use every illustration that you can possibly think of, trying to win them over to the acknowledging of the truth, and it never works. In fact, you might... You might, through your arguments, even get them to the point that they have to scratch their head and acknowledge, well, yeah, yeah, that is what the Bible says, and there is good evidence that the Bible is true, but there's a big difference in getting them to admit to that and actually exercising faith. That faith comes only through the hearing of the Word of God. It's the good seed that is planted in the heart of man that the Holy Spirit uses in order to bring fruit unto salvation. So let me sum this up because I hope you, I hope you realize by now that the main thought is, is getting people on the road to recovery, seeing them deliver from the, delivered from the bondage of sin. And for that to happen, they have to recognize their condition. Some, sometimes you hear preachers use the, the phrase, you know, you, a, a person can't be saved until they realize they're lost. That, that's true. And that's the problem with a lot of people, you know, maybe they go off to camp or maybe it's during vacation Bible school and some kid, there'll be four or five other kids make a profession of faith and that's all wonderful. I'm, I'm not being critical of that at all, but we all know that sometimes, you know, the kids tend to follow the other kids, you know. And especially they'll make a profession of faith and they'll get baptized and, and it'll start the wheels turning in some kid's mind about, well, I want to do that. They stood up there and everybody shook hands with them. Everybody hugged them and they got a lot of attention. I, I, I want to do that. And you know, you can talk a kid into just about anything. You, you know, you, you can say, well, you, you believe Jesus is real, don't you? Yeah. You believe Jesus died on the cross, don't you? Yeah. My Sunday school teacher said he did. And uh, you, don't, you don't want to go to hell, do you? No. You, you want to go to heaven where Grandma is, don't you? Yes. All you got to do is just repeat this little prayer after me. And they do, and they make a profession of faith. Six months to a year later, they begin to realize, is that all there is to it? And they begin to realize that they were never saved at all. You know what the problem is? they never first realized that they were a sinner in the sight of God. Nobody's going to be saved until they get to that point that they realize that they have violated God's righteous standard. They have sinned against a holy God. They are damned and doomed unless God does something to save them. So it starts with recognizing your condition and then realizing the solution. Realizing that God has provided a way to get you out of the rotten condition that you're in. You begin to realize that you are a sinner, that you are in captivity. And then you realize the solution, which is Jesus Christ. Notice that God would that God would give them repentance. 
to the acknowledging of the truth. Brother Kenneth and I was talking about something this morning, and not this message, but something unrelated. We're talking about the matter of faith and repentance, how confused some people are about it. And it's really amazing to me that anybody could be confused about repentance and faith. And yet a great many people are, a great many preachers are. The Bible is very clear that repentance and faith are absolutely necessary to salvation. The problem is a lot of people have got this weird idea that repentance, if I've got to repent to become a Christian, that means I've got to quit doing this and quit doing that. That means I've got to change all of these things. No, it starts with a change in your mind. It's a change of mind regarding sin, a change of mind regarding self. A change of mind regarding the Savior. It's changing your mind, but it results in a change of life. And it all happens the moment that we exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive Jesus Christ by simple childlike faith. That's the only way out of the bondage of sin. That's the only way out of Satan's captivity. There are not two ways out, not three ways out. Jesus said, I am the door. He, he is the only way. That was the message that offended the Jews so much, by the way. He spoke to the Jews about being the Messiah, being the Son of God, coming to provide freedom for them. In fact, he said in John eight thirty two, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You know what their response was? They didn't say hallelujah, glory to God. We've been looking for a way out of the bondage of sin. We've just been waiting for the day that, 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 that God provided us a way. They didn't say, say that at all. They said, well, we've never been in bondage to any man. They didn't have a clue as to their spiritual condition. And that's exactly where a lot of folks are today. They do not understand that they have sinned and offended a holy God. And there's nothing in this world that will set a person free other than the truth. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You never, you, listen, you never recover until you've been rescued. Because there's not... There's not some way out. It's a rescue mission that Jesus came on. You're not going to find some little chink in the armor. You're not going to find some little hole in the wall. You're not going to find some way that you're going to escape the clutches of the devil. No, the, the Lord Jesus himself come in and stormed the gates of hell as it were. He took over. He didn't come to just win a victory. He came to take over and make victory possible for every single one of us. We sang that old song, He Set Me Free. That's the truth. It's the truth for every believer. That's what real freedom is all about. And we can never expect to maintain freedom in America with the people that are held in the bondage captivity. And that's, that's exactly where we're at today. That's why we, as we look, we see our... Our, our, our freedom slipping away from us. We see evil men and women that want to deprive us of our God-given liberties. And the reason for it is because they themselves are in bondage to Satan. 
surely you've wondered over and over, how could anyone ever do some of the horrendous things people do, right? It, it might be you were watching one of these true, true life stories on the ID channel or cops or whatever it was. And it is absolutely mind-boggling, amazing what some people will do. There's, look, there's no limit to what some people will do. I mean, it's not that they just shoot you and leave you for dead. It's all of the stuff they do before and after. There's no limit. And we wonder to ourselves, how in the world could anyone be so depraved as to do stuff like that? Well, look, whenever you are in captivity, remember who you're in captivity to. The devil. Somebody says, well, you're just at the mercy of the devil. Let me tell you, he doesn't show any mercy. He doesn't know anything about mercy. Mercy is found with God. And whenever, when, whenever, whenever you refuse to repent and to believe and to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me tell you, what you do is to leave the door open for absolutely any sin that's possible. You don't have any idea how low you might go when that door is open, as it were. You have no, no idea what great depths Satan might take you to. I don't know anybody in their right mind that'd want to remain in a state of bondage like that. But that's the way sin is. Sin is spiritual insanity. That's why the Bible talks about the prodigal son. And that prodigal son represents sinful man. And the Bible says, remember, he's the one that was looking for his freedom. I want to be free. I don't want daddy telling me what to do anymore. I'm going to strike out on my own. Give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. I'm going to the big city. I'm going to get me an apartment of my own. I'm going to party hardy. I'm going to live it up. I'm going to have fun, eat, drink, and, uh, you know, till I die. And, uh, boy, it all sounded so good to him. But he ended up broke, not a penny in his pocket, and out there in the pig pen. And no man cared for his soul. But when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he realized what a horrible mistake he had made. And he got up and left the pig pen and went back to his father. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, please understand you're just like that prodigal son. You're just like the one that Paul has described here. You are held fast in the bondage of sin. You are a captive of the devil and there's only one way out. And that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God there's a way out. Amen. Wouldn't it be horrible if I just had to say, well, that's where you are and there's no way out. You're just going to have to live with it till you die and then it gets worse. There wouldn't be no reason for me to keep preaching if there was not a ray of hope. And there he, Paul is expressing, you know, Paul, Timothy, this is the way you ought to conduct your ministry, that you ought to help people to come to an acknowledgement of the truth. And he said, with the hope that God will bring them to repentance. And it's my hope this morning that, that he'll bring you 
to that place of repentance. I hope and pray that nobody will leave here today in bondage to their sins. It doesn't have to be that way. It shouldn't be that way. And you can do something about it with God's help. He'll deliver you. Let's all stand. Father, how we thank you this morning for making a way out of, out of our sinfulness, for making a way out of condemnation that is against us. How we thank you, Lord, that regardless of what we've done, that there is forgiveness of our sins, that there is hope and there is help. And I pray today that you'll just speak to hearts. Lord, I believe with all of my heart you never, ever laid a message on a preacher's heart but what somebody needed it. And Lord, it might be that 90% of the people here in this building today are saved. They've been delivered. They know what I'm talking about. But Lord, there's someone here today without any doubt that is still in the bondage of sin And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit will walk up and down these aisles, that He'll put His finger on the the sensitive part of their heart and help them to see their need today. And I pray, Lord, that You'll enable them, open their eyes, that they'll see the truth that Jesus indeed is the way out of captivity. Save their soul for Jesus' sake. But we ask it in His name. Amen. Now while we stand and as we sing together. Without Him I could do nothing. Without Him we'd all surely fail. We'd be drifting. Like a ship without a sail. I'm certain that Sister Bertie came and was praying for her daughter Laverne who has cancer and we've all been praying for Laverne. But wouldn't it be horrible if, uh, if she was in that situation and didn't have Jesus to come to? Wow. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be horrible to not just to face the difficulties of life every day, but to think about going out into eternity without, with, without any hope. 
without him, that's how lost we would be. You don't have to be without him today. The Bible says, whosoever will may come. Whosoever. Hey, that includes you. That includes me. He made provision for all of us. The Bible says that Jesus tasted death for every man. Not just a few. He paid the price for every person on the face of this earth. And if you'll trust Him, He'll save you. We're going to sing another verse. And, and maybe maybe you're thinking, Boy, I'll be glad when this is over and I can get out of here. No, you're probably the one that needs most to come and uh, do business with God. And this is your opportunity while we sing.